0: Thank you for allowing me uh, the opportunity to share God's word with you. It's a privilege and, uh, and an honor. And um, as we go through our time this morning, there's really two things I want uh, Lord willing to accomplish, and that is, first of all, that we'd, um, that we'd understand more about God as we look at this story of Samson. So how does this story teach us something more about God that we didn't know before we came in here this morning. Secondly, if we can learn that, then secondly, what does that mean to us? So we're going to get into this epic story of Samson. Was he, was he a superhero or was he a super failure? Was he a saint or was he a scoundrel? These are the questions we're gonna look at. And you know what? Um, Superheroes is kind of uh, on everybody's minds right now. Ben just said to me the other week, my son, he said, Dad, look at all the TV shows that are about superheroes these days. You gotta love them or you gotta hate them. And I thought I'd just uh, kinda kick off this morning with a a quick little superhero survey here at Calvary. Are you up for this? I'm gonna put uh, a superhero on the screen and once it's on the screen, I'll give a cue and uh, see if you know who it is. Shout it out, okay? You ready to go? Here we go. Oh, before I get there. <laughs> this is the superhero of graphs. Mark White would like this uh, superhero if Mark was here this morning. Hey, what this shows us is this, the amazing interest that's grown over the years with uh, superheroes. Back in the 70s, uh, you know, an opening weekend for a superhero me- movie would have maybe around three million people. Fast forward to 2012 and uh, this survey shows like close to almost 60,000 people coming out, 60 million people I should say, 60 million people coming out for superhero movies, all right? So uh, let's see how superheroes have infested Calvary this morning, are you ready to go? Hopefully this is the right slide. Batman. Oh, someone was quick out of the gate on that one. Next one. Superman. Joel. Spider Man. Yeah. Okay, next one. Wonder Woman. <clears throat> this is the PG version of Wonder Woman. I could only bring your, her face this morning. The other, uh, it was hard to get an image of Wonder Woman that would work in church this morning. Captain America. Yeah. That's Storm. Yeah, part of the X-Men team. Storm. Incredible Hulk. Some of you look like that in the morning, right? Before Iron Man. All right. Batgirl. Hey, that took a moment, eh? Uh, Batgirl. Can't forget about Batgirl. What about this one? About <laughs> Brett King has got it. That's right. Brett King has nailed it. That's Captain Canuck. How many of you have never heard of Captain Canuck before? Yeah, we've got our own superhero, and we don't even know about it. That's typical Canadians, right? Hey, Captain Canuck, he's got super speed and super strength. And uh, I'm told, like, uh, poutine is kind of like kryptonite for him, so he's got to keep it. No, No, that's not true. But uh, that's Captain Canuck. Uh, He was introduced in 1975, um, so, now, when you come to the story of Samson, it kind of feels like Samson should be one of these uh, superheroes, right? Um, and, uh, in fact, I found uh, there actually is a, a Samson comic series. And uh, let me just read a little bit of the, <clears throat> of the description of, the, of their perspective of Samson. From birth to death, the life of Samson is unlike any other. The angel of the Lord announces his birth... He tears a lion to pieces. He sets fields ablaze using foxes and kills a battalion of a thousand soldiers. It's a story of love, conspiracy, betrayal, revenge, and redemption. The story of Samson. So what about this character? Is he a superhero or is he a super failure? So we're going to spend some time looking at Samson this morning. And seeing what God's word has, uh, has for us as we look at this story. What does this story tell us more about God? And what does that mean to us? Let's pray together. Father, this, uh, this time is yours. We thank you for it. We thank you that we can be here to, today, this Sunday, together. Father, thank you that uh, we've been able to proclaim the truth of who you are and celebrate that never, your love never fails, it never gives up. Your amazing love shown to us through the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for that this morning, Lord. We want to continue to give glory. Now, Lord, would you just open our hearts to your Holy Spirit, work in our lives as we look at your word. Father, I pray that I would not get in the way at all, Lord, of what you want to accomplish. So this time is yours, Lord. We are yours. I am yours. We give this to you in Christ's name. Amen. There's really... um, Three things that we're going to look at this morning as we think of the story of Samson, as we journey through the story together. The rise of Samson, the fall of Samson, and the redemption. Kind of sounds like a good movie set, doesn't it? The rise, the fall, and the redemption of Samson. And I want to just kind of quickly again, we learned from last week that as we pick the story up in Judges 13, you can turn there, Judges 13.1. That once again, Israel has been going through one of these cycles. We've seen throughout, throughout our time this fall, as we've looked through the book of Judges, that Israel just goes through these cycles of disobedience that leads to their enslavement. And then we find that as they're enslaved, they just sort of accommodate that. After a while, they don't even notice that they're, that they're slaves, and they just get assimilated into that culture. And we see that here again. In fact, in Judges 13:1, we learned last week that, that God, as a result of their disobedience, had just turned them over to the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. That's where this story kind of kicks off. And um, <clears throat> my voice is kind of going this morning, so I need to get you all involved in helping me vocalize some things. I'm sorry for where you sat, but you guys over here and girls worship God section. You guys over here, and girls, worship idol. I just want you to read these out. Think of the differences between worshiping God and worshiping idols. Read it for me. And next one. Okay, what else? Immorality approved. Okay. Neighbors' sins are what? Disapproved. Disapproved. Neighbors' sins are? Okay, another set. Yeah, this group over here, you can touch, you can feel, you can see your idols, your gods. God, it's an act of faith over here, isn't it? Now, one more, don't give up. Chires there we go. Chires requires nothing. And this is what we've been seeing as we've been journeying through um, the book of Judges is this cycle of what God calls his people to and how they respond. Pastor Calvin, can you come up here and give me a hand? Uh, I just want to illustrate something for a moment. Um, Pastor Calvin, actually, there's a bag on that front pew. Would you grab that and bring that up here? <clears throat> he has no idea what he's getting into. And um, um, yeah, have a seat for a second there, my brother. Um, I want to introduce uh, you to my friends here. We're going to do a little role-playing. Um, this is, uh, these are some of my Philistine friends. They look pretty good, eh? Not bad. And um, uh, this, this, is, uh, this is Calvin the Danite. This morning we had Nick the Danite. He kind of looked like a Danite. He had the he had the Moses beard going on, but hey, welcome. Um, I see that you're new to the neighborhood. I noticed that you were hanging around um, at the back of my vineyard. You must have just moved in. Um, just on the other side, I, I saw him. In fact, look, you still got some crepe stains on your shirt. He must have been sampling some of the vines back there. But great to have you here, and I see you got my, um, I see you got my housewarming gift, eh? I mean, this is, this is some good Philistine stuff here, eh? And uh, this is like 10 pounds of Philistine stuff. Right. And um, I just thought, since we're neighbors, we don't have any fences here. It'd be good to kind of make sure that you know, you know you're welcome here. And so I got you some of the best Philistine stuff that I could find. You know we're pretty good with metal. And um, I just thought that we'd, by welcoming you here, here, you grab a hold of that. And um, just by welcoming you here to the neighborhood, it would be good. Um, I hear that you're a pretty good hunter. I hear your wife's even better, but, um, and uh, just hold your hands together, there, I just want to show you how strong, this is good Philistine stuff, it's strong stuff, doesn't that feel strong? strong. Yeah, well, you know what, I thought we could get to know each other a little bit more, you know, um, I like to fish, you like to hunt, Um, I've got a brother down in Ashkelon by the Mediterranean, he's got a beautiful boat, and uh, I thought we could hang out together a little bit, what do you think of that? This is your house. <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> You're going to like yes, it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then, you know, you could maybe take me hunting, and uh, that'd be kind of cool. And, uh, hey, um, you Israelites, um, I see you make, you make um, some, um, some sacrifices every once in a while, but I don't see any temple around here. I want to invite you to come to my temple. We've got some pretty cool gods. I mean, we've got Baal. Uh, you've heard of Baal, haven't you? Yep. We've got Dagon, um, you know, he takes care of our grain and harvest. Hey, and let me tell you this, the women at our temples, do they have a welcoming ministry? I'm telling you, these women. And um, hey, I've got some other ideas. Uh, you've got a couple sons, yep. I've got a couple daughters. Uh, I know there's an age difference, but look, throw in a few cam- throw in a few camels, some goats and a heifer. And hey, maybe we got a deal, you know? And um, and so here's this picture of what's going on with the nation of Israel. Calvin and his bling, look at that, eh? Yeah. And and this is the cycle that we've seen over and over again. That as the Philistines and the Israelites, um, God has has put them in a very special place. The Israelites were supposed to drive out the Canaanites and the Philistines, but instead they get enslaved they get assimilated, and this is where our story picks up. Can we give Calvin the Danite a big hand here? Can you, can you get out of that? Leave that here. Very good. Very, very good. <laughs> Excellent. So, so this, is, uh, this is where we pick up the story. Now, I want you to make the Philistine connection here. Um, if we go back to Joshua 13, we actually see that, that God has very clearly given the land, including the Philistine land, um, to his people. It says here, when, God, when Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, you are very old, and there are still very large areas of the land to be taken over. This is the land that remains. All of the regions of the Philistines and the Gerizites from the Shehor River on the east uh, coast of Egypt to the uh, territory of Ekron on the north, All of it is counted as Canaanite, though it's held by five Philistine rulers in Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. So we see back in Joshua that God's been very clear about, about this land. Look also now at Judges 3, verses 1 to 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there and read with me. Judges 3, 1 to 4. It says, these are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not yet experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not yet had previous battle experiences. And here again, we see the five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the Lebanon mounts from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath. And they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which had been given to their ancestors through Moses. So these lands, the Philistine lands, had been already promised to God's people through Moses. Here's a quick little um, map of uh, the area. And I want you to see a couple things um, See if I get this little pointer. So here's the Mediterranean Sea. These little round, extra round signals look like uh, bullseyes. These are the five major centers of the Philistines Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Akron, and Gath. And we have rulers in each one of those. And uh, what I want you to see is where Samson hung out. See, Samson was, um, his family home was right west of Jerusalem. Just above Beth Shemeth and just to the east of Timnah. And we see um, throughout this time period these, these centers talked about. What's interesting is that God's people had settled here but had not occupied, had not driven out the Philistines from their land. And in between where God's people were and, and the major centers was this area that was full of beautiful vineyards called the Valley of Sorak. And that it it actually means Valley of Choice Vines. And this is the area that Samson's family had settled into. So as we start the Samson story after his birth, I want you to realize that Samson was designed for purpose. Hashtag designed for purpose. Now, if you don't know what a hashtag is, turn to somebody who looks younger than you and ask them what a hashtag is. Actually, ask them if it's okay to say hashtag in church. Hashtag, I want you to remember that. Designed for purpose. Samson was designed for purpose. God's people were designed for purpose. If you're a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you were designed for purpose. And we learned last week in Judges 13 that Samson was dedicated and set apart to God from birth. To be set apart means you're a saint. Now, how many of you think of Samson as a saint? He didn't act like a saint, but he was a saint because he was set apart for God's purposes. You'll also see part of his mandate, what well, his mandate was, to begin the deliverance of God's people. We know that the Philistines continue to oppress and to um, give opposition to the Israelites right through the, the reign of King Saul And then it was under the the reign of King David that the Philistines were finally driven out. But Samson's purpose was to start that process. And then also we read in chapter 13 that Samson was blessed and stirred by the Spirit of God. Samson was designed for purpose. Say designed for purpose. Remember that. Okay, God's people. How many of you feel like saints this morning? You don't feel like saints? We have this idea of sainthood is that it's, it's really an indication of are we saintly, but sainthood is about being set apart. And I want you to notice some things here. If you look at some scriptures quickly together with me, just come with me on this for a moment. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter <clears> 2.9, <throat> it tells us this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who we are to be. We're to be God's saints. We've been chosen to proclaim the excellence of God. Look at this, Matthew 28. The words of Jesus, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We also see in Acts 1-8 that we too are blessed and empowered by God's Spirit. Where it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Samson was designed for a purpose. Israel was designed for a purpose. God's people here... Today, at Calvary Baptist Church, you've been designed for a purpose. So we pick up the story of Samson. We looked at the circumstances last week surrounding his birth. We're going to pick it up from there. And the next two major narratives of Samson are kind of held in two blocks. The first one starts at the end of chapter 13, and it goes to chapter 15. And really what you see there is it ends, the chapter of, of, or this kind of movement, narrative of the part one of the Samson story, ends with this amazing climax of Samson going and slaughtering a thousand Philistines. The next part of the story is really chapter 16. If you haven't done this, I encourage you, even if you can do it this afternoon, before your discipleship communities, for those of you that meet tonight, Um, Sit down and read both parts of the story right through. It won't take you very long, but it's an amazing story. We can't uh, read that story in its entirety. We're just going to touch down on these two parts quickly this morning, but it's an amazing story. And part two of the story also climaxes with, uh, with a significant event, and that is the destruction of the Philistines' temple, the Temple of Dagon. And uh, we see there that there's 3,000 Philistines that are killed. The rulers are killed. And then, of course, Samson loses his life in that moment as well. So quickly, part one of the story. I want you to see that there are five significant strength events in part one of the story. Here they are. Samson kills the lion. We read in chapter 14, verses 5 to 9. If you turn there and you look at that story, you'll see that Samson is on his way to Timnah. Now again, Timnah is in the valley of Sorek. That's the area of the Phil- where the Philistines are hanging out. He encounters a line. He tears the line apart. Second major strength act. <clears throat> As a result of a riddle that he has lost, because the Philistines have cheated, in order to satisfy the debt that he owes, Samson hightails it down to Eshkelon finds 30 guys, scripture tells us that he strikes them down, he takes their clothes in order to pay the bet off that he's made about this riddle. That's the second strength event. Third one, you'll see there, he burns their fields. So he gathers 300 foxes or jackals, it's the same word in Hebrew, and big tails, lights them on fire, destroys their fields through these foxes. The next one there, you'll see that, again, there's an encounter as... There's this response back and forth between Samson and the Philistines reacting to each other. There's another reaction, and, Philist- and um, Samson goes and tears apart a bunch of Philistines, leading to the climax of this final one, where he kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Now, uh, our good friend um, Calvin the Danite and his dear wife Jen, they actually happen to have a jawbone of a donkey. Isn't this cool? Now, can you just picture half of this? And Samson took one of these and took care of a 1,000 Philistines. If you want to see that after, you can. But it's a, it, that could be a pretty nasty weapon. Jen, I don't know what you use that at home for, but um, I'm just saying, be careful. And um, now, here's what I want you to notice about part one of this story. Part one of the story, we see three phrases consistently in this section of the Samson narrative. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. In the NIV it says it came powerfully upon him. So in this section of scripture, the account of Samson, we see what God had begun in stirring him as a child continues uh, in this part of his life, and God is working in and through him. So that's part one of the story. Um, I want you to think as we continue to, to consider the person, the character of Samson, this guy who was supposed to be set apart. We saw that he was designed for a purpose, but the second thing we see in Samson's life is he's got a fatal attraction, a fatal attraction to self and to sin, and we see that happening in Israel, and we see that happening in our own lives, don't we? Let's just look at this, um, a few things about Samson himself. Here's this guy with all kinds of strength, God has given him this supernatural strength, but his actual character itself is Samson's an incredibly proud guy, impulsive, and we see in the stories, particularly in his interaction with his parents, he's completely unteachable. We see that he's violent, and he's vengeful, and he's vindictive. It's really interesting, as you look through Judges 14 and 15, we don't see Samson doing anything with the Philistines that isn't related to vengeance. It's all about paying them back for what they did to him. Samson was risen up, and he was to be a savior at that time, a deliverer, a judge for God's people. He was supposed to go and take care of the Philistines, and yet he doesn't lead the charge in that. He just reacts to the bad things they do to him. In fact, one commentator noted that Samson doesn't really have that much of a problem with the Philistines, in fact, he loves their women. We don't see him, every time actually, you'll see that back and forth, back and forth, and he says to the Philistines, hey, I'm just gonna repay you for what you've done to me, and then I'm done, and then I'm done. This is the kind of guy he is. The other thing we see is he's got an incredible appetite for their women, sexual appetite. Life Church, uh, their pastor there, Craig, identified a couple things that's really important for us to think about as uh, we look at this story as it might, <clears throat> might cross with our hearts and minds sometimes, we see this behavior. Look at, look at Judges 14, verses 1 and 2. A couple things just to quickly point out. This, this story is about Samson going down to Timnah. So that's west of his home. <clears throat> and that's in Philistine territory. And that's in the whole area of the vineyards, the, the Valley of the Choice Vines. Now remember, Samson being set apart as a Nazarite, there was three key things. One was he was supposed to abstain from wine, but not just that, he was not supposed to eat grapes, not the skin, not the seeds. If you go back to to Numbers 6, Numbers chapter 6, you'll see the the details about what Nazarites were supposed to do when they had a vow, and, and that was a key component of it. Well here, Samson is trotting through the vineyards of the Philistines and should be the last place in terms of somebody who's been set apart. And yet God still uses that for his purposes. But here's where Samson is, and he sees a woman from Timnah, and he says to his parents, I want her, go get her for me. That's the kind of guy he was. For she looks right in my own eyes. She's looking good, I want her. And of course, we see in this dialogue in chapter 14 that his parents immediately remind Samson that that's out of bounds. God has been so clear. If you go back to Joshua 23, verses 12 and 13, God has told the people so clearly, if you intermarry with these people, you're history. And yet Samson, and of course, he's dialoguing with his parents, but he's not gonna listen. He doesn't care, he wants her. He's seen her, and he wants her. I deserve it. So the story goes on in chapter 14 that his parents give in. They decide to have this big wedding. And they're traveling back. And of course, we see him as he's on his way back to Timnah. He must take a right turn, goes off course back into the vineyards. And he encounters the lion that he had killed before. And there is honey there. Again, another violation of his Nazarite vows. He wasn't supposed to touch anything that was unclean. A dead carcass was unclean. And yet he sees something and says, I want that, I deserve that, I'm gonna grab that. And you'll note in the account, he, doesn't, he gives it to his parents, but he doesn't tell his parents where it came from. You know there's something wrong. So that's the second thing that we see in this little story. The last one you'll note here is... Uh, Uh, this attitude that I can handle it. As the story goes on, he goes down for the wedding, the wedding preparation, and there's a seven day feast. In fact, the Hebrew word is mista, and that whole idea, it's a seven day drinking party. It's seven days of, of the wine is flowing, and again, this is something that as part of his vow, he should not be a part of, let alone his relationship with a Philistine woman. But Samson's like, hey, she looks good to me, I want her, she's right in my own eyes, I can handle it. And that's what we see happening here uh, in the story of Samson. Now, quickly, I wish we had more time, but let's quickly pop into the second part of the Samson story. So this is really chapter 16. And again, we see a bunch of feats of strength from Samson, but here's the key thing. Remember the words that we saw earlier in part one of the story, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed mightily upon him? We don't see those words in chapter 16 anymore. They're gone. They're gone. Here's here's some of the major events that happen. Chapter 16 kicks off with a story of Samson visiting a prostitute. Again, off-limits. In Philistine territory, deep in Philistine. Gaza's close to the coast. He's way into Philistine territory. And of course, it's still an amazing story that God uses because as he finds out that the men of the city are waiting for him, he goes, uh, he leaves in the middle of the night, grabs these huge gates of wood and metal tears them out of the posts and the scripture tells us that he carries them away to a hill facing Hebron, which was Jewish territory, as a statement of, I'm taking your protection away. Keep in mind, back in those days, you know, the town gates, the city gates, they were a major component of of protection for those people. And Samson just rips that out and away he goes. And then the story moves on to the story of Samson and Delilah. And here we see again feats of strength that are happening here. As Samson presses him, sorry, as Delilah presses Samson for the secret of his strength, he tells her a number of lies. And she tries, of course, with the help of the Philistine rulers, with the promise of tremendous amount of money, like 140 pounds of silver is coming to her way if she can broker this deal. And so we see that Samson escapes from the seven fresh bow strings. The second attempt, he escapes from the new ropes. And The third attempt, he escapes when she, she ties his hair into the loom, And more feats of strength. But then the final one, of course, is the end of chapter 16 where we see a whole different scenario happening where Samson releases himself to God. His eyes are gouged out. The very thing that he has been saying right in my own eyes, he doesn't have those anymore. He's been now enslaved by the very people that he was called to deliver. And he calls out to God, God, give me strength one more time. And we see God answering his prayer. And he destroys 3,000 Philistines. He destroys the rulers. Perhaps more importantly, he destroys their temple. And he destroys himself. I want you to think about What this shows us a little bit about God as we we go through the, the rise of Samson, he was designed for a purpose. God's people are designed for a purpose. Samson clearly didn't act like a saint. He was a scoundrel. We looked at some of those characteristics. He had a fatal attraction to sin, a fatal attraction to the things that God had told him were off limits. That's what God's people often do. That's what we often do. We have a fatal attraction to sin. But the story doesn't end there. That's what's amazing about this story. That's what's amazing about God's word. As we go through, we we see that God always has a plan. In this particular case, we see again a plan of redemption. I want you to think about a couple things. As As we consider the journey that Samson went, from this moment of shame where his eyes are gouged out And he's enslaved by the Philistines to this. If you go to Hebrews 11, you'll see an account where where in God's word we have all these different heroes that are listed. And Samson is listed as one of them. And along with some of the other judges, he's identified as one who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. How did this scoundrel be used by God for God's purposes to the degree that he actually gets a place in the scriptural hall of fame? Well, let's consider a couple things. Let's talk about real strength. Samson had strength, but he didn't have the kind of strength that God calls us to. I want you to write down a few scriptures with me. Ephesians 6, verse 20, where it says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then it goes on to say that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Our strength is found in the Lord. Amen? 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. There's a couple things from here. If we read that passage, we find that God tells us that his grace is sufficient for us. And his power is made perfect in our weakness. It's really important stuff. You know, guys, often we think that because we're strong, because we're this, we're that, that we can handle things, that we can deserve things. Girls, I think we fought, you fall into the same trap sometimes. Hey, I can handle this. Hey, you know what, it's not that bad, it's not that big of a thing, but we find that in our weakness, if we will admit that we are weak, that God's power will be made strong through us. I'd like to suggest to this, when we started talking this morning about heroes, there's only one hero. There's only one hero, and that's God. God is the one and only. And this is the message. We see that God is faithful. 2 Timothy 2, here's a trustworthy saying. Here's a trustworthy saying, that if we are faithless, He remains faithful. The contract isn't if we're faithful, he's gonna be faithful. It's even when we're faithless, God is faithful. Look at this next one. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 30, and also in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, we're told that God chooses the lowly things of this world for his purposes, so that no one will boast except to boast in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians, it reminds us that the one who calls us God, he will remain faithful and he will do it. The last thing I want you to think about about our amazing God is he pursues us with unrelenting love. We just sang that song a moment ago. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never gives up on me. And as we go through scripture, we see many accounts where God where God's faithful, steadfast love, all throughout the Psalms, it talks about the steadfast love of God. Psalm 107 is a great example of that. In Romans 8, it kicks off that chapter, reminding us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The amazing power of God's love. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy... Made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. So let me tie this quickly together. I want you to think about this. Samson, Israel, and us. Samson was set apart. Israel was set apart. Chosen through Abraham. We've been set apart. Samson pursues foreign women. Israel pursues foreign gods. Samson goes through, we see at the end of his life that he's enslaved, he's bound. Israel experiences trouble and oppression and slavery as God gives them over to their sin. We see that God's strength leaves him, but God never abandons his servant. Similarly, God removes his protection from Israel. Sometimes he removes his protection from us. He doesn't abandon his children though. You'll see also that God has a plan And in Samson's life, though he was this vengeful, proud, self-serving champion, God fulfills a plan of salvation. And we see that working through the nation of Israel, and then we see it realized in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Samson points to a greater Savior, a greater salvation. What an amazing story. Barry Webb reminds us about this. In fact, he says, think about the the birth of Samson compared to the birth of Christ. An angel announces the birth. It's miraculous. As he matures, the spirit moves him and thrusts him out into mission, Samson and Jesus. He's not recognized as a savior by his own people. He's rejected and bound and handed over. You know, what's really interesting about the event that happened just before the jawbone incident with the Philistines is 3,000 men from Judah. Now, if you go to the beginning of of Judges, the men of Judah were the ones that were out there obeying God and leading the charge and calling the other tribes of Israel to do what God had told them to do, to take possession. We fast forward now to this point in their history, and we've got 3,000 men of Judah Going to Samson and saying, hey, don't you know that the Philistines rule over us? What are you making such a problem for us? Just settle down there, big boy. And instead of of actually getting behind Samson and being part of God's solution to drive the enemy out, they end up turning Samson over to the Philistines. Amazing. Jesus Christ was rejected by his own people. Jesus Christ has been rejected right now, isn't he? Amazing. And then we see both with Samson and the Lord Jesus Christ that there's a climax to the story. For Samson, it ends, of course, in the temple being destroyed, the Philistines, the rulers, and Samson giving his life as part of the deliverance, as part of the salvation strategy for God's people. The Lord Jesus Christ was born. We're going to be celebrating this in a few more weeks We celebrate it every day, I hope, in our lives that Jesus Christ came to this earth to be born of a virgin, to walk among us, but to give his life on the cross for my sin, for your sin, and then the amazing power of God's work on the cross and the resurrection reality that Jesus Christ today is seated at the right hand of God the Father. It means that the power of sin and death and darkness is over for the believer, amen? That's the salvation story. And that's why grace wins. Yes, we're designed for a purpose. Yes, we have a fatal attraction to sin and to self and to idols. But yes, we have a God who loves his people and grace wins. As we wrap up this morning, I wonder if there are any of us who wouldn't say we need to do something. You know, we've been journeying through this talk on Judges for a couple months now. But hey, maybe you just popped into Calvary here for the first time and you haven't been tracking with us in this story, but, but you've heard about this person of Jesus. Maybe this morning you need to respond in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. For others of us, I wonder how long we're going to keep on carrying these crazy chains. You know, we've been... Um, We've been talking about sin and slavery and swimming in the, in the cultural current. And, um, you know, Calvin brought this thing up to us. Calvin's a big, strong guy. It's about 10 pounds of chain. He could handle it. But we get a picture there of the reality. And Calvin was sitting on that bench. And all of a sudden, he wasn't carrying the chains. But the chains were surrounding him, enslaving him. That's what sin does in our life. The amazing thing about grace, grace wins. All we've got to do is confess our sin. Confess our sin, repent and turn and throw it at the foot of the cross. Say, Lord, would you take my sin? Would you take my idols, my slavery? I respond in faith to you. That opportunity is there every day at any moment for any of us. If you haven't done that yet, today is the day. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of getting rid of idols. You know, we need to reclaim the birthright that God has given to us. I asked the question earlier, how many of you feel like you're saints? You are saints if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we struggle with this problem that we don't feel like saints. We don't act like saints because we're carrying around all of the the mess of sin. And yet God is saying, "Give, give your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ confess, repent, turn, and then walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is a morning for us to renew the divine purpose that God has called us to, to be his salvation message. You know, I think Satan, Satan defeats many of God's people with this kind of lie. You're no good, look what you've done, you're never going to be used of God you're no good, look what you've done, you're never going to be used by God. And that's a lie. Because God is the one who decides the purpose of his people. And once we confess our sins, that sin is gone. God forgets it. As far as the east is from the west, we're clean. And yet some of us are burdened by the fact of our past God wants to use us. Confess our weaknesses, yes. Confess our failures. But then, go ahead. Move ahead and live in the power of God's grace. But let's do that humbly. Let's walk humbly. Let's not be the Samson lone wolf who takes God's gifts and only uses it for his pleasure. Yeah, God redeemed that. But that's not the picture of what God wants for his people. We're here in community to help each other to admonish each other, to encourage each other, to pick each other up when we fall. And to see when we we see somebody, one of our brothers in Christ, one of our sisters in Christ struggling with sin, to come alongside and to say, there's a way, there's a better way in Christ. Walk with me, I'll walk with you. I'm gonna ask the team to come up this morning to lead us in a song, really a song that allows us to say, Lord, I'm done with idols, I'm finished, I need you. Lord, I need you. I bow and confess. Let's stand together and would you use this opportunity to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ, to respond to his word this morning, to lay down sin, to lay down idols, and to pick up your divine purpose and call, to experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I need you. This morning, if you are here and you have never responded to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the grace that God's Son offers, to get rid of our sins so that we can be made right in relationship with God the Father. There's nothing more that we would want to do than to pray with you, than to talk with you. Could you come and see some of our pastors and leadership down here at the front? We'd just love to be able to help you, to introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you that have responded to the gospel of grace and you are God's children, Are you tired of this? When's enough? When's enough? Here's the problem. Just when we think that we've gotten rid of it, the enemy comes to us and entices us again. Says, hey, just pick up a couple of those chains, a couple of links, not a big deal. This is a daily thing that we need to do. Daily we need to lay down our sin to lay down our disobedience, to lay down our idols before the Lord, and then to walk in the power of his Holy Spirit and experience his grace. Isn't that what we want to do, church? Amen? Let me conclude with a benediction. And now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, and majesty, dominion, and power, now and forevermore. Amen? Amen. Go in God's grace and God's peace.